Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on the show, the dawn of the $500 wedding photographer, right or wrong, Catherine Hall joins the fray and an interview with superstar wildlife shooter, Rick Sam. All that and more on episode number 128 of This Week in Photography. And we're back with another episode of This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we have the lovely Catherine Hall has graced us with her presence inside the Twit Cottage. 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 Hello, Catherine. <laughs> I love the introduction. <laughs> Do it again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I Twittered that you were the lovely or the gracious or something, Catherine Aww, Hall. So I had to follow it so up. That's so sweet. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I'm looking forward to the debrief on what you have been doing over the last month. I know yeah. it's been exciting. Well, I'm very excited to be here. So thank you. You're welcome. And also, as usual, on the wheels of steel, Mr. Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex. That's me. What's going on? You, you have also just recently... Entered back into the country from po- points unknown. Right? Yesterday, yesterday afternoon. Yesterday, you were. Uh, yes, you like, well, <laughs> you were hanging with dancing and speaking lemur somewhere, right? There was no lemurs. <laughs> there were no lemurs at all. No, it was. Uh, I, we, I was in Seychelles, uh, which is a little collection of islands north of Madagascar, and there's no monkeys there and no lemurs or anything else. They make a big point of that too. They say, "Oh, you can go out. You can go out into the woods, uh, you know, into the jungle." And they said, you don't have to worry about anything. There's nothing that'll bite you. There's no snakes. There's no scorpions. And then they, always, just and then they always say, no, they, they, there's no snakes. <laughs> there's no scorpions. And there's no monkeys. And every person, it was like, it was like snakes, scorpions, and monkeys to someone in the Seychelles is like equal. Really? You know, you know I, oh, I'm not sure. Gotcha. Um, I'm sure that someone brought one in and it must have been How trouble. How there not be any animals there being that close to Madagascar? It's not that close. It's like Madagascar's close, but you you know you like you look close and what it's, like it's like a thousand between miles here and away Texas or something. No, but it's like it's okay. like a th- you know it's you, you look at it and it's on the map and you think oh it's near it, but it's near it in the relationship to it's <laughs> it's on the planet. Yeah. Well, it's on the planet, but it's still a long <laughs> it's still a long. I mean, it would have all I'm saying is there's not a lot of lemurs that would have sw- swam from Madagascar to but Seychelles. still I mean you think any place exotic like that will have yeah. some sort of exotic a lot of, wildlife. A lot of photo- photographic opportunities. Like what? Uh, well, there's coves everywhere. Mm-hmm. Little coves. and um, We have those here. There's a lot of them. Have you heard of the coast of California? We I know. have coves. <laughs> but it's like, it, it, it's, uh, but it's, yeah, it's different. And different. the water is, you know, of course the water is like bath water and uh, the, it's like, I guess it's like the Caribbean. I've never been to the Caribbean, so I don't know anything about the Caribbean. But, mm-hmm. but when you look into the water, we, we went about a mile out to, um, uh, interview a fisherman uh-huh. and uh so he was he took us out we, it's not like we went out and met him <laughs> so a guy and uh mm-hmm. and uh, the water was so blue it was like this like it was like this uh gem like blue oh, wow. i just never seen seawater that is there like scuba that. diving out there there's a lot of scuba in fact there's yeah. there's hotels with patty certification classes that are like part go. of the hotel yeah and uh and so it's uh yeah, I'm sh- it's a pretty popular it's a big that's the there's two big industries there's tourism and tuna so um, we were actually shooting the two this week in travel. So anyway, but uh, <laughs> but it was, I shot a lot of photos. So I'll show some. You going to put some online? I'm going to put some online. Maybe in the big... Flickr group that we yes. have going for this week. I'll, in I'll put them in my in my Flickr in the Flickr group and tag them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll tag them. What's your favorite thing to shoot? What did you focus on there? Um, 
Besides I, coves. Well, I what I shoot coves I mean, are good, but you um, got to put people in them. I, I tend to shoot. You know, when I when I first started shooting photography, I shot a lot of uh, landscapes. You know, when, when I was like when I got into photography, I was like, I, I was like ten. So uh, so I, when I got my first K one thousand or whatever, and so mm-hmm. I shot lots and lots of landscapes. But by the time I was fifteen or sixteen years old, I really enjoyed shooting people. Mm-hmm. So I generally just shoot lots of people, and I shoot a lot of behind the scenes. So a lot of what I'm shooting is. People like when we're doing shoots, we were shooting with a red camera, so we were it was like a big this big camera rig with this giant lens and all this other stuff. So mostly what I was shooting was pictures of us shooting other people with a video camera. Gotcha. Nice. So a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Nice. And, so uh, Catherine, where where were you over the last month? I know you were also somewhere beyond the borders of the US. Where were where what were you doing? What were you doing? I was in the Caribbean area mm-hmm. and I went on a little photo adventure. Um I actually brought a a lighting director from LA with me mm-hmm. and the whole trip was basically about pushing myself in the lighting department and improving that aspect of my photography. Interesting. So, so this was a self-assigned trip or were you on yeah, a mission and yeah. getting paid? No, usually, I mean, a lot of, with my editorial work, more often than not, I'll go shoot it on spec and then I'll come back and get it published or sell it later. Interesting. So, Interesting. Okay. But I, I think that it's really important to, I love traveling. And so sometimes if you wait for the funds, they don't happen. But if you That's interesting just do it anyway and then try to sell it when you get back. You're like the hybrid photographer because a lot of wedding photographers are very focused on marketing themselves and the business and how much they should charge and, you know, going to, to WPPI and that kind of world. And I, at least the ones, a lot of the ones that I've been ex- exposed to don't really branch out and say, okay, I'm going to go on a self-assignment to somewhere in the Caribbean and shoot and expand my skills that way. It's more about portraiture and doing different things inside the genre of photography. How are you able to break that? Well, I think it's really important. I mean, I look as, you know, photography is an art form. And because of that, if you decide to make a career out of it, it it's very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to consciously um, do things to keep yourself impassioned. So yeah. you hear a lot of photographers doing things like um, you know, self-assignments and doing nonprofit organizations and, mm-hmm. and just not only um, making it about profit because that's not what you originally got into it for in the first place. Right. So keeping that sort of passion alive. And keeping yourself really inspired. How often do you go out and, and, and do these things on spec? Um, at least once a year. Wow. So wow. usually twice. Okay, cool. So, and, and when you come back, do you find that you're refreshed and looking at the, the weddings that you shoot with a different perspective? Not only that, definitely that case. Um, but also, it's, it challenges me and makes me grow so much in my craft that I find when I come back, I've evolved as an artist, mm-hmm. so um, I'm just shooting differently. So it, it's not just an inspiration, like balance it and do different types of work, but mm-hmm. it's more of, you know, things that the ways that I grow when I'm traveling shooting are different than the ways that I grow when I'm wedding shooting. So mm-hmm. they complement each other so I can keep growing as an artist. Sure. And the, the common denominator throughout it all yeah. is light, right? Well, yeah. It's the same, generally speaking, yes. wherever you go. Yes. Yeah. That's so. interesting. So uh, before we move on, I have a ton of questions on that sort of area for you, but I want to give a nod to one of our sponsors, Squarespace.com. We Alex. love Squarespace. So uh, Squarespace.com uh, is a fast and easy way, of course, to publish your high quality website or blog. Uh, it, it'll let you 
you, you know, you, you can, whether you're a beginner or uh, an expert, there's a lot of different ways to either have it be easy or have it totally customizable. Twip Log, which uh, is our mm-hmm. web page, is all done in squarespace.com as mm-hmm. well as, uh, as um, you know, I, we're, we're doing a lot of the front end stuff for the Pixel Core, a lot of, uh, a lot of other pieces of what we're developing is all in Squarespace because um, I don't want to think about it. You know, I, I want to worry about the content. I want to worry about creating stuff. I don't want to worry about HTML. I don't want to worry about uh, servers. I don't want to worry about any of those other just things. Just want it to so, work. Right? Just want yeah. it to work. You know, and, and mm-hmm. so uh, that's what Squarespace lets you do. You don't have to think about all those things, and you can have form. You know, form builders and photo galleries and forums and all that stuff can be built into it without having to go through the coding process of, of figuring that stuff out and without figuring out how to install it on a server and without having to worry about any, any of those things. Yeah, all that I, stuff is all managed. One of, the, one of the cool things that I just found out from Joseph, I wish we were able to connect with him, um, but he started a, a membership site or a website called ApertureExpert.com, mm-hmm. and it's all run on Squarespace. And it's, yeah. a, it's a membership site, meaning that you have a certain amount of access to certain areas of the site, but then if you subscribe, I think he's got it free, so it's a free subscription. You subscribe, uh, you can get other access, so it opens doors. So I didn't, yeah. I didn't even know Squarespace could do that. I think you, I think you'd have up to like I believe it's five levels of permission access. So wow. there's there's a lot of different ways you can kind of separate users. And, That's uh, kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's really really nifty. Anyway, if you want to try it, go to squarespace.com/twip. That's squarespace.com/twip. You're not you're not going to need a credit card. Uh, you can just build out a website and try it and see if it makes sense to you. Uh, if you decide you want to purchase it, you can get ten percent off using the offer code TWIP. So once again, go to squarespace.com slash twit. Excellent. All right, moving on. So I want to put Catherine on the hot seat Uh-oh. right now. You feel, your, you feel your seat Make getting warmer there? Do you want me to come back? <laughs> nope. All right, here we go. <laughs> hey. No, I do. I want you to go back. No. Um, so there's been a lot of hubbub and, and controversy on the web in the last couple of weeks that I've seen um, about pricing with regard to weddings and what's the correct way to price weddings. You know, for example, um, some people are saying that the photographers that are just jumping into the ring uh, and charging 500 bucks that they should be taken out and flogged because they're undercutting the photographers that are charging a lot and making their living and they're taking the guts out of the market that way. And then other people on the other side, uh, Rick Salmon included, which I interviewed and you'll hear him later in this podcast, but uh, he's, his, uh, point of view on it is you know not everybody can afford the five thousand six thousand ten thousand dollar twelve thousand dollar photographer more power to them if they want to just buy the 500 buck wedding where do you fall on that should photographers be charging 500 bucks or should they not shoot until they are able to charge five thousand well i mean i definitely don't think not shooting is the solution for anything because you're never gonna get to the quality level of charging 5000 or 10000 or whatever you want to charge if you're not out there shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, but shooting and charging, though. Yes. I think that um, the hardest part about it is it is we're in a delicate industry that, um, that people love photography. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in the sense of just because... I think a lot of people are scared to charge what they're worth because mm-hmm. they f- they almost feel guilty because they'll enjoy doing it. Sure, yeah. And so That's the a artist, lot of times, the artist affliction. Yeah. yeah. And so you, and and there'll be that deep seated sort of fear. Mm-hmm. And so you'll find superficial excuses such as, "Well, I'm just starting out, so that's the reason I'm charging 500." Mm-hmm. Whereas the real underlying issue is, I love what I do and I feel bad charging people for it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that 
with that said, you know, I, you almost shouldn't shoot a wedding until, (laughs) until you really know what you're doing anyway. So Mm -hmm. as far as getting out there and shooting and practicing and getting to a level, um, where you are capable to provide high quality work though. I mean, how do you get to the level? I mean, it's like when, you know, when I was a kid and trying to get my first job, you can't, we can't hire you because you don't have any experience and you can't get experience until you get a job. How do you, I mean, I think that in some ways it's, you, you start with your family. You know, yeah. I think that, I mean, my, uh, my sister who we should bring on the show at some point, mm-hmm. cause she's just starting to, to become a professional photographer. But the reason she's becoming a professional photographer is we've all been telling her that basically everyone in my family, um, any photo that we want to keep <laughs> generally yeah. is shot by my sister, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and yeah. I mean the, the, the ones that we think are the primary ones, uh, that, that like if, if you want someone to take pictures of the family, you just want my sister to be taking photos. And, uh, and then, and the demand has really built up, but she spent 10 years taking pictures of friends and family and everything else. And I think yeah. you get really good at capturing people that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but she's in that position where she, she's nervous. I think sometimes about, uh, actually using that talent, and charging people for it. Like how much do you charge and what mm-hmm. should you charge? Mm-hmm. And she's got an, an amazing amount of skill. Um, but, but she's worried about how much to, how much to charge. Right. But I think that's one Wait, place. Is she worried because she's worried about undervaluing or overvaluing, valuing oh, her I'm work? Sure that or she's, she's worried, about, worried about, about overvaluing the market. I, I think she's more, she doesn't care about the market. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, that, that what I mean is that that's not her concern. And I'll be honest yeah. with you. I don't care about the market. When I look at how much I'm charging for any given, uh, item. So I, whether it's photography or, um, uh, or videography or 3d animation or anything else, every industry that I've entered and I've entered a lot of them, yeah. um, have been, you know, they all start with me working for free. <laughs> working so, for so, free. Okay. So when I, when I, when I got to a radio state, when I got to the into radio, mm-hmm. uh, this is when I was 19 years old and I walked in and said, uh, I really love alternative rock music and I just, you know, I, I'm, I'll sweep the floors if you just let me be in mm-hmm. here, you know, and, and, yeah. and, uh, two years later I was the music director and assistant program director, you know, and I treat, I treated it every day that I was there. I treated it like they were paying me a hundred bucks an hour. I was on it. I was on time. Yeah. I made sure everything, and I just kept on moving up, mm-hmm. you know, very, very quickly because n- most people don't operate that way when they're not yeah. getting paid a lot. They act like they're not getting paid a lot, you know? And so the thing is, is that, is that, but I moved very quickly through that. I moved into, you know, and, and I was, I was told when I got into computer graphics that I was being taken advantage of all the way up to working on Star Wars. <laughs> you know, you know, and, and it was, and I love the fact so that there's a payoff in there. Yeah, but yeah. see, you weren't work. that's where I think that people get, you're not working for free there because. Oh, no, no, I'm not, not, no, no, but you're working for the experience. For the experience. Yeah. But then if but, you get to a, if you're in a habitual sort of like, you get stuck in that zone of charging a thousand dollars a wedding. You get this. Sort That's of where the crux of it is. I mean, yeah. if you you just got a you know a new camera for Christmas. You're a new photographer. You're passionate. You love it, like most of our audience. Um, and you get a new camera for Christmas, and you decide I'm going to hang my shingle out and become a photographer. Um, I think the crux of the issue is that five hundred dollars that you say you're going to charge just because you're starting out. Should you be charging that and learning on people's one-time events, kind of thing? You yeah. know. Yeah. So is that right? But or, everyone's, or is, everyone's learning on, on their one-time event. You know, the thing is, is that it, it, you're always learning. I mean, you're always, I mean, there's not a single shoot that, that I work on that we're not, you know, making a list of all the things we want to do differently the next time. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, that's, maybe that's not the way it is for everyone. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. No, I'm wrong, I mean, we're, I, I think we're all growing. Yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're practicing photographers. Right? I mean, but my question to you is like not caring about the market. I think that we all, part of the problem is that when people enter a market, they don't care about the market. 
any time they're entering the market because they mm-hmm. don't really have anything invested in it yet. Yeah. When I was first starting photography, a lot of people said to me, like, you have to value the market. Don't undercut your prices. It's going to hurt the market. And mm-hmm. I didn't get it until now that I'm in the market. And when you're making a living on it, it does matter. Like, if mm-hmm. you're just planning on shooting weddings on the weekends for the rest of your life and have a full-time job, then that's one thing. But if you're actually... And wouldn't, wouldn't, I mean, there's a lot of people getting, having weddings, Yeah, you know, and there, and, and I got a great deal on my wedding, but it was still, you know, uh, much more than a thousand dollars, uh, to have a really good photographer, you know, a friend of mine who was a photographer mm-hmm. uh, do my wedding. And, and he was a friend, you know, he's a good, a good friend of mine, uh, Greg Herring in Denver. And I flew him out and paid him a lot more than that, uh, to do it. Uh, but I wouldn't consider spending less money than that as, you know, for the wedding that, you know, that I did because it's really important to me. And I equate va- the value of the photographer to some degree. With him, I, I, I had worked with him for years. Uh, I used to DJ weddings <laughs> a long yeah. time yeah. ago. Yeah. So I'd worked with Greg for years and knew that he was just a great – he was exactly the kind of photographer that I wanted for my wedding. Um, but I would be scared to have someone who charged me $500 do my wedding because I'd be afraid that yeah. they're not going to be – if they're, if that's what they're charging, they're not going to be able to – I, so I can't you, you enter into the yeah. whole so the, price so perception to, to piece me the, of it, to yeah. me the thing is is that is that i want to i think uh, you know like we don't uh, i always think that that, that that equation of quality is from looking at someone's portfolio looking at what they're and, and if someone has a great portfolio they're probably going to be charging more you know and, and and there's a certain segment of the market that can afford it that can afford a, a five thousand ten thousand fifteen thousand twenty twenty thousand dollar photograph you know mm-hmm. photographic wedding yeah and that's this, you know, and and I think that you have to realize that you're in that segment, you know, uh, that and and that means that you dress differently, you use different equipment, mm-hmm. you use, you know, you approach them differently because it's a whole. You're looking at that larger market. I mean, does does that make sense to you? It's it's not. Yeah. And and there are a huge number of people who just they don't have that kind of money. They're, they're, the entire wedding's going to cost three thousand dollars, you know, and, and they don't have the money to have. And and, and it's it's either having someone who's paying. They're going to pay someone five hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, or they're just going to have all their friends have disposable cameras and walk around and take photos, you know, and, or they're going to have friends come by and just take photos. And and, and so I think that there is a mar- there's a market to me for both of those, Catherine. Yeah. Okay, so then well, so take us through the the flow. Then uh, you're a new photographer. What should you do? I mean, well, should you real quick? I do want to say one thing. Mm-hmm. I think that one thing we have to look at is that you have the a luxury of being knowledgeable in photography. So, like to you, you can say, "Look, photography is important to me. I know what it takes to get." you know, a photographer that's going to capture my wedding. Right. I think the sad thing is, and I've heard this so many times is that clients don't really, they have to learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, they don't understand how much photography costs until they actually start looking for a photographer. And then, you know, all of a sudden they think, Oh, you know, this should be a 2000 photographer. And that photographer is actually a 4,000 photographer. You know, like Mm -hmm. there's no way clients are ignorant to, um, it's because they've exper- never done a wedding it's a new before experience, you know? and they don't know photography. And so they may think like, oh, okay, well my, you know, $500 is fine. And then they find out after the fact that he shot the wedding, you know, like on bad equipment or, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's this sort of regret. Yeah. And so I do see uh, it, it isn't, you know, well, and, and, and I would say that, that, uh, what, one thing I would suggest to anyone, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking from the photographer's point of view, yeah. but is that you want to go by recommendations. I mean, the first people that you ask, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're getting a wedding, you go to the location. 
and you ask the location, who are the best oh, yeah, photographers yeah, to shoot yeah. at the location? Give me three or four. Locations will know who the good photographers are pretty quickly, you know, because right. they they see the you know four yeah. of them a, a, a weekend generally, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you know, and so they, uh, they, you know, depending on the location, and they'll give you a list of three or four photographers to start with, and most of them are going to be a little bit more expensive. They're not going to be the cheapest ones. It depends on what the location is. A lot, oftentimes, the location is going to tell you these are the ones. But I think that, and that's why you know, I know when we worked in when I worked in weddings, you, sp- you spend a lot of attention. You know, on the locations. <laughs> yeah. You know, because, because Catherine, they were should, the ones that should were photographers Should photographers uh, piggyback on established photographers to sort of get going? Or Yeah, I mean... You know, well, what, what's the first step for a photographer wanting to jump in? I guess one last comment on this whole thing is that PDN did a survey, I think it was last year or the year before, and the average wedding photographer made $24,000. Mm-hmm. And I know how hard wedding photographers work. Like, we work really, really hard. And mm-hmm. so I think that's sort of the thing that makes me most passionate about this subject is that you can't make a living and you can't buy the right equipment. You can't get the right things for your clients if you're not charging appropriate prices. Mm-hmm. So if you enter into it and I, I do think it's good to get experience and, but if you get sort of stuck in that rut, which I think a lot of people do is you sort of set a price point and then you're scared to move. Mm-hmm. And so you charge 1000, 2000, $3,000, whatever you pick. Yeah. And you can't, you have to be shooting every, you have to give up your life. But that PDN survey sounds like it's presupposing that everybody that's shooting a wedding wants to shoot it as their primary source of income. People can still have day jobs and shoot weddings on the side and make 24 grand a year and be doing pretty good. You know, if you're already making 60 grand, another 24 on top of that, you're, you're living easy. Yeah, straight, right. Exactly. But then that does affect the industry as a whole. Right. The people that and should they care? Yeah. Should they care? The market will find a way. Should the people that are coming in and they can charge a thousand dollars and get it and get paid and do a decent job. Should they even care that they're, they're hurting the photographer down the street who is trying to feed his kids or, you know, they that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. should they care? I mean, yeah, morally, yes, of course they should care. But this is the market. This is business, right? I, you know, I, I guess my, my argument will be, and, 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 and you know, because I, you know, I don't, I just know from my experience that I, I, start, I, I started saying, you know, I, I didn't make very much money when I start doing whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now I, I, I do pretty well if I, you know, my day, my day rate for doing computer graphics or doing whatever is is reasonable. Mm-hmm. One <laughs> million can I, dollars. Can we, cha- can we cha- change day rates? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My day rate. My day rate. I'm if someone kidding. asks me to do visual effects work, you know, my day rate is is is, is pretty reasonable. I mean, it's within it's it's within the category of a lawyer. Yeah, but you, you know, you know. So so you the, have Star Wars but, on your credits, right, though. But, come on, but, you can but, do that. But that's how. But how I got there though was not. I didn't have a degree. I didn't have a background. I didn't have all those things. I worked and I lived in basements and worked in and worked you know eighty to hundred hours a week for for years to get there. Yeah. You know, and so. The the thing is, is that it, but, but it does take that kind of long term, you know, I knew where I wanted to go and I did what I needed to do. I didn't do it. What I knew, knew would make the most money in the short term. I did what I knew what I needed to do to get to the, where I needed to go long term. What I'm saying, the reason I bring that up is because I think that, um, is that I, I do think you have to, you have to keep on. I, I agree that you absolutely have to keep on increasing how much you charge. And I think that you, but I don't think you need to look at the market to tell you, you should do that. I think that you look at personally, you're, you know, we do this all the time within our company. Mm-hmm. The next new client that comes in, you know, oftentimes we adjust rates, you know, the clients that we have right now, we, we charge whatever we charged. We learn that we should have charged more when a new client comes in and asks for a quote, the quote's higher than it was yeah. the last time because, you know, because it, because we learned that we're not, 
able to grow. We're not able to, to reinvest in hardware, reinvest in something. So I think from a personal perspective, I think it's important for people to know that if you don't keep on increasing what you're doing based on how good you are and the kind of clientele and what you can produce, uh, you're not going to be able to ever get to that point where you're making re- real good money. But I don't think that I don't think that you need to to worry about the market as a reason to keep yeah. your rates up. I, well, I think we're agreeing here because yeah. we're talking about the you same thing. Agreeing. Charging five hundred dollars is not doing it one time at the beginning of your career is not going to hurt the market. Mm-hmm. But if you do it over and over and over again, then that is going to affect the market. Well, but, but, I, I, but what but if you you're not making wedding market. photography a career, though? What if you're not making it a career and you're just going to you're happy with charging five hundred dollars in perpetuity? Is that wrong or right? Only the I mean, there's no wrong or right, and and I have to say, like, yes, there is a demand for that five hundred dollar photographer. Mm-hmm. So I can't Thank you. say I that it's I, yeah, <laughs> no, I can't say that that's wrong or right. I just think, um, as far as can, a profession's concerned, um, you know, what you're talking about charging five hundred once and then increasing, increasing, that's not that five hundred that you first charge is not changing the markets so it's one wedding and like you're growing with it i think this the scary thing is and the reason i'm so impassioned about this is i know a lot of really talented photographers that aren't charging what they're worth and i think they just get stuck and, and what i would say is and i, would, I agree with you that you should you know the the what I'm saying is, is that I don't think the photographers need to think about. I think this thing of like worry about the market yeah. is is a is a big word. I think that I would tell photographers that you should always be looking at increasing your prices as you increase your services or your skill from a personal perspective because it allows you to continue to grow. That's it allows you to keep on doing it. Yeah. From a personal point of view, you know, mm-hmm. I, I agree. You should be always looking at how you're going to improve your quality and and. As a result, continue to improve your clientele, improve because what happens is by charging more, you're also changing the kind of wedding you're shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes, yeah. you know, you're 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 getting you know, they're bigger weddings, and and those bigger weddings um, produce better pictures oftentimes because they're more. You know, sometimes they don't, but a lot of times those big weddings, you know. Um, they're more picturesque. They're bigger locations. There's, you know, there's there there's a more lot of people. there's better lighting. No, 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 <laughs> not necessarily. Um, not necessarily that. But but you the, you were thinking it. It had no, to be I, said. I've been to I've been to four hundred weddings. I, I I know that that doesn't there's Proof the money 400? that they spent. Oh jeez. Yeah. But that was all. I know a lot about DJing weddings. Oh not, right, I right, right. Shoot them. Well, so um, by now you must be like a million dollars per. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> and right. After 400. We're, we're no, going to no, have no. to jump on to a different topic. But, but what I'm Let's, saying is... We're beating yeah. this dead horse. But, but yeah. I think it's important because I don't think it's... I don't think this is, this is limited to weddings. I think this is also a issue of when you get into the, into the business. You know, is that you... You know, I always say that you, I'm... When people ask how much I'm worth, I'm always like, I'm worth what I got paid last. Gotcha. <laughs> so, you know, wow. so if, you know, if, if I... Uh, you know, and plus ten percent or whatever, you know, or two percent or one percent. I'm priceless, my friend. But but so. like, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, if I haven't done it before, then I don't. I usually will enter it going, oh, we'll do that as a test, yeah, or we'll do that on spec, or we'll do that on whatever because I don't know it. If if you come to ask me something that I know really well and we do all day, you know, I'm not going to give you the time of day if un, under a certain price because yeah. you know. But I think that people, uh, I I do think though that that established photographers very much want beginning photographers to charge the same amount as they do because they don't want the competition. You know, and my argument is, is that if you're an established photographer with good contacts, with doing what you're doing, um, as someone who does videography, we have the same issue. I mean, people do web video for every different price you can possibly imagine. They do it for much more than we do and do it for much less than we do. Um, And I don't worry about any of them. You know, I just worry about my business model, you know, and and individually how how to make it work. And I think that that's what... But I think it's a misnomer for um, 
people already on the inside to be constantly telling people on the outside that they shouldn't do what they need to do to get on the inside. There you go. That's, That's the crux. All right. Uh, we're going to hit one of these news items. And Nikon has updated their Coolpix line of, uh, of cameras. Let's see. What is it? Seven new models spanning the performance, life, and style classes. I, I wish I had one of these cameras. I don't have. I, I use Canon point and shoots. You know, they they just released a Canon just released them literally today, so we don't have them in our show notes. But we should talk about it. Wait, yeah. Can, yeah can I interject for two seconds? Yeah, mm-hmm. if it's about uh, these cameras and yes, not about it's pricing. About these cameras. No, right. no, no, no. The pricing thing's done. I <laughs> finished. Right. I, I should have finished that a long time ago. Um, I actually want to pick your guys' you brains. the show notes. Look yeah, this is. Right. She's am organized. I going to be invited back? Uh, yes. Um, okay, so my question to you guys is: I haven't. I don't have a point and shoot that I love. And quite frankly, I'm not carrying my 5D around with me on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So can I hate the Canon versus Nikon debate, but mm-hmm. Canon versus Nikon for a point and shoot, not for an SLR. Mm-hmm. And uh, why? Why what? Why? Why Canon versus Nikon? There is no Which why. One it's whatever why? one. I mean, there. for I, me, it's whichever one works the best with your brain. I shoot Nikon with my digital slr and i use a g9 still canon from my point and shoot i don't care do you find the g9 to be too big it's too big for a lot of things and i actually am looking for something smaller which is why these this s series of nikons i'm i'm looking at closer but when i started with point and shoots i was using the elf series of canon which is why i migrated up to the g9 because i was already familiar with the ui and all that you know, it just depends. I mean, I don't think there's even with the digital SLR, Canon versus Nikon versus Sony versus Olymp- whatever. You know, it's all we joke about it a lot, and we you know play the rivalry thing, but it's all moot. You know, is depending on what you want to shoot and what piece of gear works best with your brain. You know, it's all about the photography in the end. My uh, so anyway, from point and shoot, if you're not going to do anything special with the cameras, I think that. that as a point-and-shoot camera, they're almost all equal. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a handful of little things. I've What's got, doing something special? So Canon doesn't support it. The reason that I only buy, like, the reason that all the new ones I'm looking at are Canon point-and-shoots and not Nikons mm-hmm. is specifically because of the CD, CHDK, which is the Canon hack developer kit, which is, allows you to hack the cameras and get raw, time-lapse, uh, all kinds of customization out of the camera. No, I'm saying so. That's that's a special thing that you'd want to do with the cameras, but it allows me to get a lot more bang for my buck out of a Canon camera than any other camera. So they don't on the market. I wouldn't say that it shoots in raw, but you know how to make it shoot in raw. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So because of that, and more importantly for me, not it's just the G nine, like the other ones. All of them, yeah, pretty much oh. all the cameras. Pretty much all, all the Canon yeah. point and shoots. And the- but remember, if if you take a camera that is not from the manufacturer and able to shoot raw, and you modify it with this with this kit to shoot raw, that does not mean that Lightroom or Aperture is going to read that raw file. Oh, you yes. know? so yeah, so, how do you help? People, people have been doing that. So I mean, I, I don't know. I, if they do I smell a blog them. post from you on this. Yeah. I'm working on. I'm, I'm deciding which one. I've been waiting for the new ones, and they just got they just got announced. So I've been waiting for the new Canon Power Shots to be announced, and they were announced today, like literally while we were doing the show, I think. Um, and um, and uh, Cam- Canon's announcing the Power Shot SX210, uh, the SD 3500, the um, Power Shot SD. This is all in DP review right now. Okay. Um, e- the new EOS, uh, the, the Rebel T2i. Which is doing 1080p as well as um, um, looking at trying to look. I mean, literally, we just while we're doing the show, uh, it just um, they have plus or fi- plus or minus five stops of exposure compensation, which is better than my wow. 5D, which I'm not wow. very particularly excited about. All so right. anyway, so I have to get off the fence and upgrade. So otherwise, otherwise, you're really looking at 
other than that, almost all the cameras are the same. Um, things that you can look at are, uh, and something we, you know, it's hard to te- test is you can look at the, the, the quality of the sensors. So whether you're, you know, how focused they are. I actually don't want to see a really, really high, um, most of these sensors on these little point and shoots are so small that more than about 10 or 12 megapixels is going to actually increase the noise at high ISO. Yeah, yeah. So I actually would prefer a 10 megapixel or 12 megapixel maximum on a small point and shoot camera. Um, the, uh, um, so that those are the, those are some of the considerations that I have with those. For me, the other things to look at, I have a Panasonic LX3, which I've been shooting a lot for. That's what I, that's kind of my point and shoot that I use. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to replace it. And the reason I'm replacing it is because the lens is too big. So the lens is actually, it's a great lens, but it sticks too far out of the camera, so I can't put it in a jeans pocket easily. See, that's yeah. the G9 problem. Yeah. And so it that's, and, and that's why, that's yeah. why, uh, well, so this lens doesn't even retract, right? It's, it's always protruding. The, you mean the, the, uh, on the, the LX3? No, well, it's the same, it's kind of the same as the, as the G9 where it's, because the G9 is flush into the body. When you turn it on, it comes out. But it's just the whole camera's too thick. Okay. So yeah, that, yeah what, the so G9 is a brick. For me, yeah. for me, I have an S, I have a, in your pocket. I have a couple <laughs> SLRs. So, um, so I'm mostly, you know, when I'm really shooting, I'm shooting with the SLRs. The point and shoot is something that I'm, I, I want to be able to carry around. Yeah. I want to be able to put it in any pocket and not think about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't do that with the, uh, you know, with the LX3. So I'm really looking for something that's totally flush for my so, next camera. So can I request a blog post? A blog post? Yes. Okay. Because I am in the market. Seems like a lot of people are. The best time for me to do this would be after... PMA, which is going to be in two weeks. Okay, yeah. that's I would very love true. to see what if you had, you know, just a couple Tips. recommendations. Okay, you know, what? I can recommend what I. Here's what I'll do: is I'll write a pro, hold me to it. I will. You think so? I will? I'll write a blog post on what I'm looking for in a, in a point and shoot camera, yeah. and then after PMA, we can talk about if it, if it actually came like to if, fruition. Are yeah. there ones out there that yeah. you know, they have to shoot video for me? Um, Are we talking about we're talking about different classes here? Though I mean, because there's the G9 class, which is what I'll take out if I'm kind of doing semi-serious photography and I don't want to bring my digital SLR. Um, but the, all, the everyday walk around, I'm at a party barbecue type camera that I want to slip in my back pocket is something different. I don't, I don't necessarily think they need to be the same camera. I think I kind of gave up on, on two different cameras in that area. Yeah. Where I just I was like, if I, if, if I want, if I want good, really great photography, I'm taking my SLR mm-hmm. and I carry it around. I'm pretty, uh, I carry it around a lot. Um, uh, but if I want something that's point and shoot now, the other one that I'm looking at right now is Olympus just came out with one that is, um, I was just looking at it, but Olympus, uh, just came out with one that you can take underwater and you can drop it and you can, you know, there's a lot you can, uh, you know, you can really beat it up. I've been really looking at an all weather camera as mm-hmm. that point and shoot that I'm going to get, you yeah. know, one yeah. that'll do like the, the Olympus does, um, uh, it does up to 10 feet or I'm sorry, up to 30 feet underwater. Wow. Yeah. And so I don't need to go 30 feet, but I would like to be able to get it wet. Yeah. So, so I'm looking at that possi- possibility See, of an all-purpose camera. I'm going camera the opposite direction. I'm going the opposite direction. I need um, my iPhone to be good enough to be a point and shoot. Uh, to go underwater? Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? I, don't just, I just need it because it's always with me. You know, it's always with me no matter where I go. Generally, I have the iPhone and I, I can take think, pictures. I, don't, I, don't I need the lens the is going to be good enough to that's do that. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the current iPhone is not, the, the camera is not good enough. I need one in there that's good enough so that it will replace my point and shoot. I don't think that Apple will ever um, build a camera that, uh, build a iPhone camera 
that is good enough to do that. Now, I think what you could do is theoretically get somebody to build a camera system that would pop onto your iPhone, but then no. you might as well be carrying yeah, forget around. forget that. No, I don't need any Franken so, cameras. So, one last question based on that. I mean, you talked about software that allows you to shoot in RAW and other things. I mean, do you really sh- – but when you're using the point-and-shoot, you're not using SR. Do you really find that function necessary? Well, RAW isn't why I'm – why I want to hack it. Okay. Uh, why I want to hack it is but because... But do you shoot in RAW? And would it... With the point and shoot? That, no. And yeah. I'll tell you, you know what's funny is, is that... Here, That's interesting. No, no, yeah. here's, here's why, is uh, Panasonic's uh, RAW format, they wouldn't... They made it very, very, very difficult to um, uh, use in Aperture. <laughs> so, because they didn't want to release the, the RAW. Because what they were doing is, is that the LX3 had this weird thing with the lens where it, was, it had a lot of barrel distortion. And in the conversion to JPEG, it would take the barrel distortion out. Uh, what they didn't want to show people was the actual barrel distortion. So they, they, they hung out for a long period of time, um, uh, not really releasing the raw format. And so as a result, uh, I got into the habit of I couldn't use the LX3 raw photos with Aperture. And so what I did is I just stopped taking pictures with raw. And then I suddenly realized that I just didn't miss it so much when I was doing little behind the scenes photos. Yeah. The point and shoots, it's not so critical. I decided it was yeah. a point and shoot. And I used to, I used to be hardcore. Like you should never not shoot raw. Um, mm-hmm. and I got a lot more after spending, shooting thousands of photos in JPEG. You know, I decided if I'm using that camera, I'm just shooting JPEG. But was that decision because you really didn't need raw or because you couldn't have raw? No, it, it, what Start that decision both. was based on was, yeah. was that... Because I shoot RAW all the time, not because I need point-and-shoot. Like, my G9 is always on RAW. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't shoot any JPEGs, not because I need them to be in RAW, but why not? I mean, it's, they import, they, act, they pretty much behave the same as JPEGs now, you know, with the new software. Oh, I, just noticed, I just noticed myself not missing it. I guess what I'd say is that if I had it, I might, I'd be tempted to shoot RAW. The problem mm-hmm. is, is that now my upload times on my um, i5, which, by the way, I killed. You what killed happened? your i5? It's not working anymore. Hmm. Anyway, so the uh, um, uh, but the upload times are lower. The you know, like when I'm thinking about those kind of photos, I'm just thinking about, and I'm just getting great results with just JPEG. Now you do mm-hmm. have to be much more conscious about color temperature. You have to be oh, much yeah. more conscious about yeah. what you're it's like doing. Shooting yeah. slide film, right? I yeah. mean, is the latitude with point and shoots that much different mm-hmm. with RAW versus JPEG? Yeah, yeah. same. I mean, it's same. A, it, everything's cheaper. to me, that's the same. I mean, that's a huge one for me is just right. the latitude aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Uh, we're going to move on and jump into an interview that I did just last night with a photographer by the name of Rick Salmon. Today's guest has been to more than 100 destinations on the planet, including Antarctica, Africa, Brazil, and more. He's able to focus his camera and writing skills on different cultures and on different subjects in the animal kingdom to not just capture the grandeur of nature's landscapes, but the wonder of being there. Today, Rick Salmon has established himself through his seminars, how-to books, and articles as one of the world's foremost travel photographers and digital image makers, and as a person who can inspire others to succeed at their craft. Rick Salmon, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to see you again. Yeah, I know. You were, you were just on last week, and we had the, the, the discussion with Derek's story about the iPad and all that. So, Man, that's so exciting. It is. You know, a lot of people say that, that all that hubbub about that thing has died down, but, you know, I'm still lusting after one. I'm still, still going to get Me one. Me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll, we'll, you know, a lot of people, like we were saying on the show, a lot of people have their own opinions about it, but a lot of these people haven't even touched it yet. So, <laughs> we'll, right, right. You know, they're saying, I don't like that thing, and they haven't even held the atoms in their hand yet to make that, dis- that, that call. So, 
Oh, it's the future. It's the future. Yeah. Yep. You know, I was on, I was on Amazon.com, and they have this huge ad now when you go on Amazon.com for the Kindle. <laughs> so, you know, they're really trying to promote that thing right now. Yeah, it's kind of like, hey, don't forget about us. We're still right. here. Or it's either that or closeout sale. I don't know. It's one, <laughs> it's one of those Boom. things. One of those, sorry, Amazon, but, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyway, today we're going to be talking about the business of photography and how to succeed in the business of photography since you are doing that very thing right now. So well, I'm a business person too. And every successful photographer that I know is a very good business person. Yeah. Everyone. So let's, let's kick it off with that. Your, your philosophy behind business and, and all that stuff. How, do, well, how does I, that work? What do you think? Well, I have a couple. One is, and my father told me this when I was young, and my philosophy is, it, it sounds funny, but it's true. It takes a lot of peanuts to feed an elephant. Yes. And by that I mean, you know, all these peanuts add up. Like I'm on the affiliates programs, at, you know, at Amazon.com, for example, and with the, with the different plugins, you know, with Topaz Adjust and with On One Software, with Nick uh, Multimedia. Uh, with HDR Soft Photomatics. So I'm on these affiliate programs, and all these peanuts add, add up. I have like a, an ebook that I sell. You know, I don't make much on it, but again, every, everything works together. Mm. So I'm, I'm watching out for <clears throat> all those peanuts, and believe me, they definitely add up. My father was right that it takes a lot of peanuts to uh, to feed an elephant. So, so you have to, you have to watch all this stuff. So it's it, so you, it sounds like you're diversified all over the place, and you've got lots of different revenue streams that are driving what amounts to, in the end, you know, a good amount of money that sustains you. Is that is that fair? Well, it, it's it's like your investments. I tell young people. You know, I'm getting old. <laughs> I think I told you on the last time Trey Ratcliffe called me one of the godfathers of the photo industry. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's an awesome guy, by the way. He's yeah. he's real talented. But anyway, uh, I am diversified, and I tell young people, I said, with your investments, you just can't be in one stock or bonds or whatever. You have to diversify. That way, when the market goes down, like it's down right now, you you don't panic. So. Personally, you know, I have a lot going on. You know, I have the books, I have the seminars, I have the workshops, I have uh, my new app, you know, my iPhone app, which we're going to turn into the iPod, iPod thing. Mm-hmm. And we have, I have all these different things going, and they all help each other. Yeah. yeah. So diversifying is, you know, I tell people, like at, I did a seminar today at Unique Photo in New Jersey for Canon, and is there, they had a record crowd. I was down in Miami, uh, not Miami, I was down in um, Orlando recently, a record crowd, because I tell people, and I'm promoting this, that my specialty is not specializing. Hmm. So people who want to do wildlife, you know, come, people who want to do portraits, you know, weddings, they want to know Photoshop, HDR, they want to know all this stuff, because I don't specialize. People come to my seminar, and they know it's just not going to be the world's greatest wildlife pictures they've ever seen. Yeah. So what what about the photographers that are starting out? Because you know a lot of people you know, hear the message that you got to do one thing and you got to do it better than anybody else. You know, but on the photography side, maybe that's true. But then it sounds like on the business side, you got to diversify if you want to survive. How do you reconcile that? Well, for the young people, I, I give a lot of seminars, like up at the Hallmark Institute of Photography, uh, not too far from here. I uh, yep. teach down at the uh, Daytona Community Beach uh, College. I, I, love te- I love teaching, and I love uh, sharing. Mm-hmm. And, and on that note, by the way, if I could just uh, 
throw this in. Yeah. When I get when I give a talk, it's not a talk about really. It's just not a talk. It's a presentation. Uh, some advice I would give to all photographers out there is take the Dale Carnegie course. This mm. was the best business decision I ever made. The win friends it, and influence people thing? That's it. Yeah, yeah. And public speaking. Mm-hmm. And they talk about, you know, you give a presentation. No one wants to come to a presentation and see just pretty pictures, you know. They yeah. want to learn. And for every picture I put up there, I share. I share something. And I also make it very entertaining. I put in a lot of jokes. And, you know, people have been to my presentations. No, they're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. I also think that's, you know, uh, we could talk about building a brand a little later, but that's kind of like my brand. People know if they come on a workshop, go to my seminar, watch a DVD, whatever, they're going to have a lot of fun. I, I, I make learning fun. Yeah, yeah. What about what about startup costs? You know, you, you might say, okay, hey, I, I just got this camera for Christmas and I got a website, you know, and now, now I'm going to be a photographer. You know, mm-hmm. beyond that, First of all, can can someone do that, and should they do that? And well, if you want to be a photographer, what are some of the startup costs involved with with doing that? Well, you know, you obviously need the gear. <clears throat> you obviously need a great computer. You obviously need great backup, right? You need you got to back up all your stuff. And but I would advise the people keep your overhead low. Yeah, I have I have for the last twenty years, I've had no overhead. I have zero overhead. I do everything out of my house. I have no staff. It's just me. You know, I am the chief package wrapper here. I am really good at wrapping packages. That's but, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I don't, do, you know, I do a workshop here. And if someone's listening, and they, I, I met someone today, and they said, oh, I want to do workshops like you. I live in Croton on Hudson, New York. And we have the Croton Dam up here. We have the river. We have the largest Buddhist temple in the United States, 20 minutes from here. It's gorgeous. So I said, when the economy started to go down, I said, I have to make more. Mm -hmm. So I started my own workshops. Even though I do teach for other people, obviously, it's more profitable if you do it yourself. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it in Croton. And rather than rent a place... That might cost me for the weekend, you know, 500 bucks or whatever. I do it out of my house. So I have 10 strangers invading my house for five days, you know, setting up their laptops around my kitchen table. Oh, wow. And and, uh, around the dining room table. And we show the slides at the end of the week uh, in my living room, right? So I have all these people in my house, but I have no overhead. Wow. And my wife's willing to put up with it. So, you know, this is actually a good business lesson. I started this. I was going to do it one week. You could go on my website, see the price. It's 800 bucks for, uh, for the four days. The first week filled up with 10 people. I had to add another week. Then I had to add another week. And I, I had no overhead. Wow. So what I'm advising people, if they have a skill, try to put something together that you could do locally with no overhead. Yeah. Now, now so- having, a, having a name helps. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's just the name and the reach because you can, you know, you put the word out and people are going to flock and knock the doors down. What about the guy that that doesn't necessarily have the reach or he's just starting out and, you know, how how should he or how should he or she go about maybe promoting themselves in the beginning? Well, teaming, teaming with somebody. Yeah. Someone with a name would be good. You know, you do maybe you team with someone and you, you say, "Okay, I'm going to do like all the work. All you have to do is show up." Mm-hmm. So team, teaming with someone is good. And then getting the word out with, uh, 
Actually, so many people found out about my workshop through the uh, workshops through through Twitter and Facebook. You know, this is photographers who are not into the social media stuff. Uh, I I just can't believe they're not into it. I just it, it's fabulous. You're your own publisher. You're your own PR agent. Your own advertising agent. Again, with no overhead, it's free. Yeah. So what about that? So social media in the, in the you know we'll say the the previous sort of era with regard to marketing and PR and all that it was all going to get a press release out there right, right. and all that you know all, all that craziness and now just like you said you could you could send out a tweet on Twitter and hit more than that press release would have hit in in 140 characters how right. how has that stuff impacted Rick Salmon Incorporated and, you know, how you're growing your business (laughs) or is it LLC? (laughs) Well, it's really important, I think, uh, to first know your audience. Mm -hmm. And so when you're designing, when someone young or someone just starting out is designing their blog or their uh, or their website, I think the blog is more important today. And that sends people to your website. It's really important to know your audience. Like my website, I don't know if you know Art Wolf. Mm-hmm. He's a famous okay. absolutely, yeah. He has a great show on on, uh, on PBS, right? Mm-hmm. My website isn't designed for people like Art Wolf. It's designed for the average person who wants to learn something, and I'm I'm always updating it. And same thing with the blog. So knowing your audience is really important. But to answer your specific question, Frederick, uh, you have to respect the audience. Yeah, and this is really important too on Twitter. Sure, I'm promoting my stuff on Twitter, and I'm usually sending people over to my blog. But I try to, you know, inspire people. Like one of my favorite books is uh, this book here, "Perception and Imaging" by Dr. Dick Zakia. It's a wonderful book about just why we like pictures uh, and how we perceive pictures. So I'll promote that. Wayne Dyer, an inspirational speaker. I'll, I'll, if he's doing something, I'll put that on Twitter. Or Deepak Chopra, who I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. So you have to respect the audience. You just can't blast people with uh, with information. And you want to help other people. I help. Uh, I've helped so many people get their books published and uh, and stuff like that. So know your audience and respect the audience. But I'm on Twitter probably more than an hour a day. But I, I have to tell you, I have never never been busier i thought after 9 11 as a travel photographer i'd be dead yeah. and i if you go on my website see my events it's insane yeah yeah you're you're one of the busiest people i know <laughs> so i'm insane yeah <laughs> there's another rick in, I, I there's another it. rick in the closet back there i know yeah. you <laughs> well, i love it how much fun is this you know uh, i went to berkeley college of music you know i studied uh actually arranging a composition playing keyboards oh wow and guitar. Uh, and I think being a photographer is like the next best thing to being like, you know, a rock star, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so you, fun. Yeah, and you can have your, your micro group of, of groupies, just like, just, you know, unlike bon, jo- bon Jovi or somebody gigantic, you know, with a large following yeah. like that, you can still have your, your little, you know, group of people that follow you. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's been a lot of, speaking of the web and social media and all that, there's been a lot of controversy over the last couple of weeks that I've been watching, and I'm sure you've been watching as well uh, with regard to how much to charge and specifically in the wedding photography genre, you know, how much to charge and if you're charging $500, 
and shooting mm-hmm. a wedding? Are you taking money out of the person's pocket that's shooting sh- shooting it for five thousand? And are the five hundred dollar photographers real photographers? Yada yada. Where do where do you fall on that? Should people be out there charging five hundred bucks for a wedding, or should they be charging five grand? Well, I have a friend who's in Florida, and things are tough in Florida. Let me yeah. tell you, things are tough. And she said that the average price of a wedding in Florida for the average person is is five hundred dollars. Someone gets a camera, they shoot the wedding, they give the person you know all the pictures on a CD, no editing, no this or whatever, and that makes both people happy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know I, I follow all that stuff, but you know my my personal uh, philosophy is uh, my business philosophy as far as charging goes is if I'm if I'm going to have a lot of fun like going on a trip, if I'm going to have a lot of fun, I might not charge a lot of money. If I'm not going to have any fun, I'm going to charge a lot of money. <laughs> so <laughs> so it balances that, out, right? <laughs> it balances out. So for me to shoot a wedding, I think I'd have to charge a lot. But, you know, this is, things, are, things are changing. You know, uh, so the people who are, are charging $500, they're, they're surviving. They're doing stuff to uh, survive. And some of them are probably doing a great job. Some of them aren't doing, probably aren't doing a good job. Maybe some files are lost or, right. or whatever. Uh, but not everyone has $5,000 to photograph, uh, to photograph, uh, to, pay, to pay a photographer. Sure, yeah. And it's the same thing with selling prints. You could tell people, uh, you could say, or, or with iStock Photo. I have a friend who sold a picture uh, 10 years ago of a bald eagle with a fish in its talons. For twelve thousand dollars, could buy that picture probably now by someone else on on iStock for you know a low resolution version for dollar twenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so things have changed. I know someone who makes three thousand dollars a month on iStock. Yep, yep. And because this is all she does, she she keeps putting stuff up there. So so t- times are changing, and believe me, we all have to we all have to adapt. You know, my iPhone app. You know, some of the books I have here. Cost thirty bucks. The app costs five bucks. Right, right. Things are changing. Yeah. Do you think it's a case of you get what you pay for, though? Because that, that that was the uh, that was some of the arguments I read. I mean, I read both sides, and one side says, "Hey, if you're going to pay five hundred bucks, you're going to get five hundred bucks worth of photography versus five thousand. And then the other side is, well, you know, competent photographers, really good photographers, may choose to just charge five hundred bucks, and who's to say that their work isn't as good as someone charging 5000 So, you know, I don't know if it's an answerable question at all. Well, I don't know. It, it, in most cases, it's pro- you're probably not going to get like a dentist. Well, you're definitely not going to get like a Dennis Reggie, you know, yeah, shoot, right. you know, where he shows up with like 27 assistants. I'm exaggerating yeah. a little. Yeah, but, it's I like mean, 25. Guy, come on. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's a master, okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're not going to get that. But on that note, you know, I teach workshops. <clears throat> and I'm up there, say we're uh, – Say we're in Montana, and I'm pontificating about, okay, the sun is setting, and we have to use a long lens to make the sun really large, and right. we're going to do this and compose it this way. And then a young kid will say, hey, or he'll take a picture and show me this, you know, shooting like upside down with a wide-angle lens with a, shooting through, you know, person's legs or arms or something, and it's an amazing shot, the yeah. person with no experience. Right. So I, I think it's uh, it's all over. I, my advice would be my advice would be um, ask for a sample of the person's work. You know, don't don't hire someone who's never shot a wedding right. to to record the most important uh, 
one of the most important days. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a lot of the, uh, you know, I think that's a, a lot of the crux of the issue because it's the Uncle Bob, you know, that might have gotten, right. gotten a new camera for Christmas that, that right. shoots raw and they, maybe they have Lightroom and Photoshop and all that. Why should I, why should they pay five grand to an unknown quantity when they could just keep it in the family, give it to Uncle Bob over there who will shoot it for nothing, you know, but then they end up maybe not getting the quality that they would have gotten. So. It, but it, it's still good in the end. If you couldn't afford that five thousand dollar photographer in the first place, you still have some photos of your wedding, right? So. Well, you know, whether it's wedding or, or any type of business workshops, you know, some mm-hmm. people. I was talking to this person. You know, they get eight thousand dollars for a workshop for a weekend. You know, I can't get that. Wow. And you know, if I could, I would charge it. So it, you have to really adapt to the market. Sure. Yeah. All right. Speaking of adapting to the market, you've got and you said you're kind of a one man band in terms of all the stuff that you're doing somehow magically. I don't know. (laughs) You've mastered time travel or something. But uh, do you I don't know. Do you are you outsourcing at all like your accounting and keywording of your images or, you know, the retouching, all that stuff? Are you just doing it all in the back cave there? Well, my wife, my wife does all the accounting. Okay, okay there you go. She, and she's really good at that. Uh, and so I, I don't really know what's well. I know what's going on, but she she does a good job. I don't want to get involved, but I do everything everything myself. I do all the writing of all my books. I do you know all the editing. I do all the retouching. Do all the shooting. Oh, wow. you know, first first and foremost, first and foremost, you know, I'm still a photographer. Yeah. This uh, last year. I was in Cuba, uh, San Miguel de Allende, out west Monument Valley, the Slot Canyons, uh, Horseshoe Bend, uh, probably a few uh, up and down the east coast, west coast, Hawaii. So I still love, this is like the main thing. This is the main thing, shooting. You know, when you look at the back of your camera and you and get an image and say, wow, you know, yeah, I did that. So when do, when do you get a chance to uh, to do this retouching and all the the non shooting stuff if you're always out running around the planet on airplanes? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like now, next week I'm going out to Oregon for this uh, birding festival, and uh, I think it's it's called Winter Wings. Mm-hmm. I have ten hours on the plane. Wow. But you know, the thing is, I've been doing Photoshop so long; it doesn't take that long. Yeah. Even the HDR stuff now, it doesn't take that long, and People say, how do you write so many books? I say, I type fast. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because I know David Pogue of the New York Times uh, writes fast and he's got, he uses uh, a text-to-speech piece of software. So, oh, really? Yeah. He walks around. I don't know if he's still doing it, but he when, when we last talked about it, he walks around dictating his books out and then he'll edit them and send them in. You know? uh-huh. So I was thinking, yeah, that's got to be what Rick's doing. <laughs> I'm I'm the worst proofreader on the planet, even after all these books. So I should do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the software's come a long way. All right. So uh, getting down to the end here, I wanted to. So you you travel a lot. You do a lot of editing on the planes and that sort of thing. What about pre-planning a trip? You know, so when you like, say you say you're going to go to, you know, one of the places that you like, Africa, Brazil, or something. What do you do in preparation, like mentally and physically, before you actually set foot on the plane? Well, first of all, I researched the place, ex- you know, extensively. So, like when I went to Bhutan, just a little fact, I found out that these uh, <clears throat> these people dance around on sacred ground mm-hmm. during this festival. So I knew, I knew I couldn't be on the same ground. So I had to bring the right lenses. I was prepared for the situation. Gotcha. So I researched the place. Um, 
So I've never gotten sick in 20 years. Well, I got sick once. But I take antibiotics every day, amoxicillin every morning. Before every meal, I take a Pepto-Bismol so my stomach is fine. It makes your, The amoxicillin makes your skin very sensitive to the sun. Mm. But, uh, so you have to just be careful of that. But I don't want to get sick. You know, if I have downtime, if I have downtime, it, it's terrible. Yeah. And uh, if it's a, an international trip, I'll pack light, take all my uh, important stuff with me on the plane. My third carry-on is my uh, photo vest. Gotcha. But if it's a trip in the U.S., even my clothes I ship now because the lines and, and all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I'm prepared and super important guide. Get a good guide. I work with a concierge at the hotel or a tourist office. I say, I want the best guide. And the best guide, like in, uh, in uh, where, wherever you go, you know, might cost $10 a day. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. It. Maybe that, that, I think that's probably the key piece because a lot of people, myself included, if I go somewhere, I'm thinking, hey, I'm going on an adventure. I'm just going to point myself west and see see what I find, and maybe there's nothing west. <laughs> you know? Well, the, the guides can open doors, especially like if I'm in India or Cambodia or Thailand or Bhutan. The guide can open the doors. Yeah. Say, here's a guy who wants to take some pictures of of this village of you guys in this village during the ceremony. Mm-hmm. So the guide is really really important. So we give you've planned all this stuff out before you get there because I know a lot of photographers when they get on the ground someplace you kind of get that even if you're traveling domestically you get that sense of overwhelm like. Okay, what do I shoot first so you don't end up shooting anything? You know, so do you just the planning piece of that helps you get helps you circumvent that or or you just know what you're going to do when you get there? I I really plan it out. I'll look at pictures. Then I'll go. The first thing I'll do is when I go to the hotel, I'll I'll go to the postcard stand and see at least what's around and most of the time I say, "Oh, I don't want to take that type of picture." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's hey, I have an idea. And but I don't have, you know, although it sounds Frederick, like I've been, I travel a lot. My son, who's 18, just went to college. Johns Hopkins, by the way. So oh. I'm very, very proud Congratulations. of him. Congratulations. Congratulations. But for 18 years, he was home. And I was only gone 100 days a year. And I don't know any other dad that was home 265 days a year with their kid. Yeah. And, and that was really, really important to me, those 265 days. So w- when I would go away... Even when I went to Africa, I don't want to go away even for two weeks. I'm just going to go for 10 days, hit the ground running, go there, shoot my – they call me the shoot and scoot photographer because <laughs> I'd, I'd go there, I'd shoot, and I'd scoot out because I wanted to be home. Yeah. But I – and did I miss stuff? Sure. Did I miss you know some great light? Whatever. But I just want enough pictures for my books or, or my slide presentation. I always have to have new stuff. Yeah. You know, no one's going to invite me back to speak if I have, you know, show the same old shots that I took. Yeah, uh, yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so then let's let's talk a little bit about your your my your thought process behind the workshops that you have. Like in the beginning, you mentioned you're doing a bunch of workshops all over the place. What's in a Rick Salmon workshop? Well, I'll share another philosophy with you that's really important. <clears throat> and here it goes: people want to know how much you care before they care how much you know. And also, people forget. People, you know, forget what you know, you know, what you, what you teach them. They forget that, but they never forget how you make them feel. Hmm. And this is really important. I want people to leave my workshops feeling great, that I had a good time, yeah, I learned stuff, 
but I, I want I want that I want to come back because I look at every person, even the people on Twitter. Every person is a customer for a workshop, a book, a seminar, an app, a DVD, uh, showing up at Photoshop World, which I love, by the way. Yeah. It's so much fun. Uh, so all these, all these, I look, every person's a customer, but I also care about people. I don't want. I'm sure you've seen, <clears throat> you know, see people on Twitter saying this and that about you know some person. I don't want one person out there saying one negative thing about me. Yeah. That's how, and that's very, very important. And uh, and if you care about people, and you remember that philosophy that people, uh, you know, forget what you know, but remember how you make them feel. You'll do great. And yes, I work my butt off on my workshops. You know, I, I tell people, you know, I'm here to help you with anything. So, except, and this is true, you, and it's on, it's on my website, I can't help you find something on your PC. <laughs> no, I'm a Mac person. <laughs> You're Mac through and through, huh? <laughs> no, they, they show up a C drive, a D drive, and all this stuff, and they can't find their pictures, and then there's some library somewhere. Yeah. So, that's the only thing you have to know. But I really love uh, sharing because people leave, you know, again, the people who come on my workshops are not, are not, are not pros. Yeah. You know, they're amateurs. Mm-hmm. And, and there's just so much that they, they want to learn. Some people come on the workshops just to uh, hang out with other people, other photographers. Yeah, yeah. And, and let me tell you, teaching workshops is a great way to learn. I did a workshop up here in Croton. This young guy, Jeremy Pollock, comes up. I, he must be like 30. I learned a lot from this guy. Yeah, it's yeah. a great way to learn. Uh, and people they ask you questions. Oh, I don't know the answer to that. And you find out. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, photographers, uh, amazingly so. It seems like photographers are um, share a lot. You know, because you're like, hey, I figured out this new technique. Let me show you how I did it. Because it's not like you're going to steal the magic. You know, it's you're just making the collective group get better. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. And sharing, you know. You know, that's really what it's all about for me. You know, my books, how-to books, most of them are how-to books. You know, I'm sharing. With the seminar, you share because if someone wants to do it, fine. Yeah. I feel that there, I really feel as though we're all in this together. Yeah. Well, Rick, where can people go to learn about these workshops, you know, find out what you're saying on, on Twitter and so on and so on? Just ricksalmon.com, www.ricksalmon.com, and there's links to everything on that. That's my site, and uh, that's, uh, that's basically where, where I live. Sometimes I feel like I am ricksalmon.com, which is scary. <laughs> <laughs> you are, my friend. You are. <laughs> All right, Rick. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I hope to see you soon. You will. That was photographer Rick Salmon. If you want to learn more about him, as he just said, you can head over to his blog at ricksalmon.com. Actually, it's a website, but ricksalmon.com, and that has links to his all of his online personas, including his Twitter, etc. I like his blog. Yeah. Rick, yeah. Rick like I, I say about so many photographers, he's forgotten more about photography than I've yet to learn. So <laughs> it's like, you know, it's an honor speaking to him. If you could tell by that interview, I was, uh, I was enamored by his grandeur. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about lenses before we move on with the show. We're going to have to move on a little bit. Faster. I want to talk about lenses. You can't. I want to talk... <laughs> We're gonna, have to, we're, we're gonna have to move on. We, we're, uh, what do you want to do? Listener questions? Um, yeah, let's go through the listener questions, and then we can do some quick picks. Um, this we'll first question run on a runway really quickly. There's a question in here for you, 
Catherine Hall. You want to take this first one? Sure. Go, Go ahead. for it. It's all yours. Read away. Stephen, how do you pronounce your last name? Sarjola on the Twip Facebook page asks. He says, help, I've been listening to photography podcasts for the last six months, and I've heard absolutely no mention of anything about the Canon 85mm 1.2. It's like this lens lens doesn't exist, but if you go to Canon's website, it's the lens they recommend for portrait photography. Is this lens a waste of my money, or should I go with the 50mm 1.2? Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Actually, eighty-five-one-two is absolutely gorgeous, beautiful lens. Um, as far as the yeah, it is. It's definitely pricey. Mm-hmm. I mean, so is a fifty-one-two, mm-hmm. uh, but it's worth. So here's here's the question: is is for would you still get the eighty-five if you uh, don't have a full ap- aperture, a full size uh, sensor? I don't. <sighs> That uh, is a good question. The only reason I ask is because because the fifty then is like an eighty. Then you probably get the fifty, right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't know what this is. And the only yeah. reason I noticed that because I feel like with the fifty, I was shooting with you it know, all this week. You mm-hmm. know, the thing is, is that it depends on it depends on your use. One, people love the fifty one too. Too, I've heard a lot of people. So if you're in constrained spaces, then you might be better off with the fifty one too. Because it is such a high price lens, what I'd recommend is renting them both. And mm-hmm. playing with them, um, but they're both gorgeous lenses, the fifty one two and the eighty five one two. If you have, if you're shooting portraits where you have space to back up, then I would recommend the eighty five one two. But if you're working confined spaces, then I would recommend the fifty one two. But as far as being worth the money, if if you're gonna, it's gonna last forever, and you'll never regret it because it's a gorgeous, gorgeous lens. Excellent. All right. That's good enough for me. That's great for me. Alex, you want to take question number three from fan Dev Chang? It says, I was, um, uh, it says, I was wondering if you could uh, do a quick bake-off between Nikon Coolpix P100 and the Fujifilm HS10 uh, as great walking around cameras. Uh, my real question is, would Alex get either one of these? I'm equally interested uh, in the photo <laughs> and video aspects, especially in low light. Um, so the answer, I, I think that we talked about a little bit earlier, is that I probably... Uh, and, and I maybe will change my mind when I'm at PMA, but it would be very unlikely that I personally, I'm not saying that these are bad cameras. And I think many people that any of these point and shoots are going to be great. So the thing is, is you're going to get them. You're generally going to be happy with them. Uh, I wouldn't buy anything other than a Canon point and shoot because I can't hack it. Mm-hmm. That's a very specific thing. So if you're asking what, whether I would buy it, then that's the answer. Uh, whether I think people should buy it, I you know I think that probably both of these cameras are good. The, the P100 actually looks like a great camera. Uh, so I, I, I my my needs are specific. Uh, but uh, but if if you're not worried about that, uh, then um, you know I think both of them are probably good. I think Canon makes slightly. I like the Canon cameras better than the Fujifilms. Mm-hmm. I think Fujifilm does a lot of weird stuff with interpolation and a lot of other things that I'm not algorithmic excited magic about. in there. Mm, yeah, I yeah. usually find the interface to Fujifilm a little crazy too. So um, I'd probably lean towards the Canon, or the Nikon. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's my two cents. All right. Question number two, we're out of order here, is from Twiplog reader Ralph Velasco. He says, is there a relatively simple way for me to get tens of thousands of images I've already processed in Aperture over to Lightroom? Um, I would say the easiest way to, is to head over to Scott Bourne's blog at photofocus.com. He's got a write-up there on how to move because he recently kind of made the jump from aperture to Lightroom. So you can head over there and he's got a little blog post or actually kind of a big blog post on how to migrate from one to the other. 
Now it's time for Picks of the Week. And our guest of honor here, <sighs> Catherine Hall, gets to go first. Catherine, what is your pick well, of the week? Being, I, being the indecisive person I am, I have two. But I'll make them quick. Um, the first is Wacom just came out with a wireless tablet. Mm-hmm. It's the Intuos 4. And How does it work? It's, and how is, big is, is it? it? Good? Yeah. Well, I mean, they come in different sizes, um, though. The one they just did is, t- let's see, a, you can go away as far as 33 feet, 10 meters from your computer. Um, and I don't know if you guys are out there using tablets or if you've thought about it. Mm-hmm. I, for a really long time, avoided it because I was sort of intimidated and I heard I that it was hard to it. use, yeah. blah, blah, blah. All you have to do is stick with it for like two days and you will never want to ever touch a mouse again. Alex is nodding in affirmation. I never want to touch a mouse again. I still use a mouse every once in a while, but I, I have a bamboo that I carry around with me. Yeah. That's the cheap version of the of the one. So I have a bamboo and then I have uh, an Intuos at the house. Um, and I think I have another. I think Well, we have another Intuos at the office, yeah. but it... How do you, how do you how do you it's like balance drawing. between like using of, a mouse and the tablet? Do you drop the the mouse and then do tablet stuff? And that's mm. where I get mixed up because I have the I have a mouse and I'm used to it. Do I okay now? Okay, I'm going into Photoshop. Do you, how do you go back and forth? Um, I, just, I use the tablet for everything. Mousing everything? Yeah, because yeah. there's a clicker on it, and honestly, like it's gone to the point where if my tablet, like one time it was because of my computer, it wasn't connecting right, and I kind of went into a panic. I was almost like, oh, but I have all these jobs. I can't retouch. And I had my mouse right there. But like the idea of doing it without well, my tablet. Using a mouse after to do retouching is kind of like drawing with a rock. I don't yeah. think so. You know what? Because one of our guests. You haven't used the tablet. Rebecca, <laughs> who one of our guests that we had on or one of the interviewees, says she does all of her retouching on a portable Mac using the trackpad. And she does some amazing things. In there, I mean, she does stuff that I could never do with the trackpad. Um, that's just crazy talk. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're not. I'm not even going to address that. <laughs> hey, she's uh, she's an amazing photographer, and she knows her stuff in Photoshop, and her stuff is crazy. So if you she can, can do that, would do just any tablet, of that stuff. You, you, the there's pad. lots of people who who've proven that they can do lots of crazy, great things. With things that they shouldn't do that. Yeah. But it's not that you should suggest And how long it. does it take you? I That's the know. other thing to think uh, about. I'm just saying it's possible. Because tablets are it's fast. You can I, I, only have, I only have three letters to say. R-S-I. Oh, repetitive stress injury. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, should we move on? Yes, your next and pick. And then my next pick, can we see? Can people see? Some people can. Um, the people on the podcast will not be able to see it. All but right, the well, people. Anyway, so so talk about it as you de- demonstrate it. Um. LoPro just came out with... Yeah, you look closer to the mic. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry. I got distracted. Um, LoPro just came out with a new bag. It's a combination roller and backpack. Mm-hmm. And you can find it on their, their website. But um, there's it comes in different sizes. Hold on. What size I is that one? I kind of forget which mine is mm-hmm. because I don't I have one similar to that on one. On a regular basis. We can, I can say it in a second. It's but. A- CompuTrekker or something or other? Is no. that it down there at the bottom? Where is it? Yeah. No. Where is Does it, it hold a computer? Here it is right there. I got it. Ah, uh, anyway. Pro Runner X350AW. It yes. comes in different sizes, though. There's a 450, and I think there's a smaller one. I chose the 350 because it will fit on any airplane without people trying to tell me I have to check it. Oh, man. That, <laughs> yeah. there is when you're on the borderline bag, you're like, you, there's so much fear walking into Yeah. <laughs> There goes my gear fear. I just had yeah. that. I just had that with Emery. So it's it's and it fits. It's just 
very well constructed. The rolling aspect of it is amazing. The thing that really impressed me the most about it is that, you know, normally like roller backpack bags, usually they're better at one thing than the other. Mm -hmm. Like they're either good at rolling or they're good as a backpack. Mm -hmm. They have a strength. This bag is awesome at both. And the, the, it's really easy to transfer. It takes about 20 seconds to switch from backpack to roller. Excellent. So it's awesome. Highly recommend it. You highly recommend it. They can find that where low pros at low pro. Yeah. All right, cool. Lopro.com. All right, Alex Lindsay, what is your pick? I have an admission to make. You don't have a pick. No, I have one. <laughs> I have one. It's not video related. No, it is. It is. It is so video related. Here it is. <laughs> oh, um, here we go. Hate so mail. It's, it's, uh, this one, so this is a tripod that isn't very expensive. I buy lots of expensive tripods, and I got a, a cheap one. Um, I bought it um, in an emergency. I needed a small tripod. I just came in and said, oh. I need the smallest tripod you have. Not not like the tiny little one, but the <laughs> smallest one that I can make. <laughs> the they, the they, seven inch No, they put one out of the, it was, of the, it was on the head. It was on the head. It, yeah, it was on the head of a needle. And they said, this is the smallest <laughs> one we have. Said, But every tri- every camera we put on it has crushed it. <laughs> so the... Um, no, it's it's called a, 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 a and I S L I K you know slick you know S L I K and it's it's a tabletop travel tripod and here's what is cool about it uh, is that I didn't think I'd like it that much I was like oh, a little tripod and, and I I don't tend to like S L I K tripods very often I usually buy them and throw them away I mean literally buy them at a if I buy them on location because I didn't I needed one more tripod or whatever I buy them and I just leave them there you know I don't you know and um. This is a little bit of a distinct, distinctive one. It's a tiny little tripod, but what it has is it has this cool little suction cup. So you know that the center bar that you can kind of adjust the height. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you push it down, it's got a little suction cup. So when you when you put the tripod on the on a table like like a smooth table like this one up here, you can suction cup it, and it's a really good suction cup to the table, and then the legs just kind of. Wow. You know, stabilize it, and then you end up with a really solid connection to the table um, for a tri- as a tripod. So you can kind of – it's not – it has more stability than something that you would just suction cut by itself. Um, anyway, and it's like 20 bucks. How 20, tall does it bucks. go? Uh, it goes up to – I don't know. It's about 15 inches, I think. It's very, very tiny little tripod. But if you need a little tripod, you can kind of put it on a tabletop and, and adjust it there. It's got a little ball head at the top, so you can kind of even it out. Mm-hmm. I'd love it if it had a uh, – it doesn't have a uh, little bubble – what do you expect for twenty bucks? Yeah. But the uh, but it doesn't have a little bubble. But it was uh, it's pretty yeah. good. So anyway, that's it. it. Does the you job. didn't discard this one? You kept no, it. I keep it. It's, yeah. it's it's actually it looks like a little trophy in my in my uh, office <laughs> in the cave. It's sitting there waiting in the cave. You've been to the cave. Yeah, I've been to the cave. Yeah. Alex has a true bat cave. Yep. All right, and my pick. Um, we had a, a photographer on the show a couple of weeks ago uh, by the name of Andy Biggs. You know Andy, right? Alex, Andy Biggs. Um, yes, you do. Um, yes, I know Andy. Yeah, he's, he had, he's awesome. Andy is amazing, and I want to go on a safari with him. I know he runs he runs these African safaris um, around crazy parts of Africa, and he, apparently, what happened was he was not satisfied with any of the bags that he was taking on uh, these safaris with him. They were too heavy or whatever, so he decided to design his own. Oh, you got one! This is it. Look at this that. is from Andy Biggs' company, Gura Gear. Um, this particular bag is the Kiboko, and I think it retails around 300 bucks. but the cool thing about this, this thing is like four pounds, yeah. maybe a little bit less than four pounds. You can put two digital SLRs in there, two 70 to 200 lenses, uh, several accessory lenses, strobes, everything. It, it's 
strangely designed. Um, I'll say I say strangely it fits because in the, it's, it fits in the carry on. It fits in the carry on, but you zip open the back of it, and the uh, backpack straps pop out. The front is split down the front, so you can you open can, one side. You can the open other. just one side to expose it, so you don't have to expose all your gear to the elements and all that th- sort of thing. So you know, I would check it out on its site. the The bag is amazing. It's really light. It's str- it's weirdly light. I mean, it's. Uh, it's almost too light, you know. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 very strong. So I am going to be going through the ritual of moving some gear into this bag. We all, as photographers, yeah. know the ritual of moving all your stuff over from one bag to another. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a, a, give it a try <laughs> right now. However, this I'll probably use this bag for for like traveling or or short jaunts like that. But Catherine, I actually have a low pro like the one that you have with the wheels and the telescoping arm that I use most of the time. Because especially if I'm taking a lot of gear with me, I don't want to be yeah, carrying it around because my crucial. back is... I'm getting up there. You got to have a roller <laughs> yeah. before your back starts to hurt. I have, yeah. I, I use a, I have a Kata uh, 467. It's like a, you know, this backpack here. Yeah. I have to admit that I, I'm, I've gotten capable of putting so much gear in this guy. Oh, check that out. Oh, yeah. oh, this is the, it looks this like a parachute. Is, this is, uh, and uh, it, well, my camera stuff is all, <laughs> like you know, in parachute. the bottom here. And uh, He's I the admit, only, you're the only true photographer. You're the only one here with the camera. Hey, I, ah. hey speak for yourself. Mine's in here. <laughs> and the, uh, you realize but I have SLR to, in there? No, my G9. Okay. It goes everywhere. <laughs> I have to admit that I, uh, I have, um, I, I'm, I've gotten capable of putting so much weight in it. You know, you get efficient about how you pack everything yeah, yeah, yeah. to where I have to keep, put it up very carefully. I'll throw my back out. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you have to bend your knees and you know, yeah. kind of yeah. turn it around. You know, because mm. there's 40 pounds in there and you got to, mm-hmm. and um, anyway. The things All right. to look forward to. Things so to roller bags. Are, I am looking for, and this one has a roller option, but I don't, I haven't. The roller bags. Yeah. Got it. Rock. Roller you bags you are go. awesome. It's got a thing. You just put it through the strap. I just haven't bought it yet. The only problem with roller bags, though, is you do kind of fill them up. Yes. <laughs> you like you take everything now. You're you like, your oh, whole I gear. can. Yeah. You need like a separate bag to take with you. You know, you have like your your base camp with all your bag, all your stuff in it. Then you have another bag to take out into the. Field I have to you. restrict myself to size so I don't take too much stuff. <laughs> Someone asked. We were talking about that while we were flying. Was that was that like how do you pick what kind of what size luggage to get? Yeah. And mine is lo- literally size. I have big suitcases, but I kept on going over the 70-pound limit. Oh, and, yeah. And, and so I just got, I got ones that are just the right size. Nice. So self-restricting. All right. Um, we're at the end of our show. Catherine, where can people go to find out more about you and, and otherwise follow you online? Um, well, they can find me on my website, which will link to my blog, which is catherinehall.net and spelled like Catherine the Great. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Catherine underscore Hall. So that's Catherine with a C. Excellent. And Mr. Lindsay, where are you? I'm on the Twitters. You never change. No, not really. You never change. No. And if you're looking for me, you can find me also online at FrederickVan.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com forward slash FrederickVan. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook fan page for This Week in Photography which has been growing by leaps and bounds, as has our Flickr group, which is growing very, very fast. And then finally, be sure to check out twiplog.com. That's where the, that's the home blog for this podcast. I like your, your Frederick Van You like my name. website? It's very, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I like it too. I'm stuck yeah. with it. <laughs> nice All right. Uh, with that, it is time to take that lens cap. Take off. it off.